This is LabCast, a podcast about the medical laboratory science profession, brought to you by MedLab Convo. We're back again with the fourth episode of LabCast. In our previous episode, we had a conversation about the relevance of medical laboratory science in the world, especially in the health sector. So you never have to ask again, what exactly is the usefulness of these guys? So in essence, we look some sort of as, at the fruits of the profession. So if I'm allowed to play a little imagery, so if MLS is like a tree, look at the fruits. So what we want to look about, talk about today now is the branches that produce those fruits. So... I don't know if you guys get what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> yeah, I do. You don't get it. Forget yes. about it. Yes, we don't get forget about it. Okay, so seriously speaking, in this episode, we'll be talking about specializations in MLS. And in the last episode, we spoke briefly about the evolution of the profession. How, you know, we started from rudimentary laboratory procedures to more specialized um, laboratory tests like molecular diagnostics and prosythometry and things like that. Well, the truth about MLS is that it began as an help occupation. So we used to be lab attendants performing routine procedures requested by a physician. But with increasing sophistication and technology advances in clinical laboratory for diagnosis and confirmation of pathological conditions, and changing the practice of medicine to more evidence-based diagnosis over the subjective premonitions of doctors, medical laboratory science has become a profession of its own. You know, in the words of the popular professor Dennis Abolaho, the errand boys and girls of yesteryears have grown to be professors, politicians, great academics, and others, making waves all over the world. So yeah, you know, science is growing generally, so medical laboratory science has to go with it. And the scope of knowledge continues to expand. So because of this, there's only so much each of us can do. Special, specialties continue to um, erupt left, right, center, so that each of us can focus on a specific area of inquiry and we can accurately contribute to the great expanse of scientific knowledge. MLS in that regard has also grown. So now we have so many specializations, and they are in their numbers, but all of them, or most of them, are grouped into five major specializations. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. So, of course, with me here is Mesoma, Mesoma, Favor, Ioma, Precious. I think we're complete today, yeah, we're complete today. So. <laughs> yeah, we are. So I'm sure that we're ready to give our audience back to back. How life put it now? I don't know. So <laughs> anyway, so Mr. Ma, would you like to say something about what I said? Okay. So we were just like you rightly mentioned, there are a lot of specializations under MLS that it could be difficult for one to choose from. Well, however, I think what you should choose depends on your drive for studying the course. If it's passion, you most likely choose something that is sustainable, you know, something that you could drive in the long run, something you could achieve your social impact goals through. Then some people are in all for the money. So if that's (laughs) you, you'll probably be settling with the big boys. During our course of discussion, you will find out still others choose based on the one that is less stressful to study, you know, which lecturers are nicer, which courses are easier to pass, or even which ones cost less during projects. But that's about that. 
you may want to listen carefully as we dissect these specialties. Who knows? You might find your niche. I think I'm going for clinical chemistry. I've not chosen my specialty, guys. I'm still thinking it through. Okay, so, <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> okay, I think we should have a special episode for what to consider when choosing a specialty. So I can share our personal experiences and um, lots more because I think it's kind of confusing choosing a specialty nowadays. So, people, let's get down to business. Thank you. So, okay, I like to define what hematology is as basically it involves the study of blood, in particular, how blood affects the overall health of the nurse. Basically, it's the evaluation of the blood cells, like the red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets. And the evaluation of the diseases and child leukemia and, and anemia, amongst many other diseases. So you might be wondering what the role of a hematologist is. So in he, in hemostasis, so basically when you talk about hemostasis, you just break the word hemostasis, hemo of blood stasis, that you're stopping something from clearing. So you just put that together and say, okay, it's how you stop blood from flowing through a damaged blood vessel. So, in hemostasis, tests like platelet counts are run, are run rather. We just want to know what platelet has to do, like what's, what's, what's the fault with this? You know that platelet help with like clotting. You just want to know what's wrong. So, you're going to do platelet counts, you know, to rule out maybe thrombocytopenia, and that's low platelet counts. And then you need to know, okay, what's, what's wrong with their, their morphology? What's wrong? So, you can just do platelet morphology to detect abnormalities in their morphology. Other tests like platelet aggregation tests are done, platelet addition tests, and that's to show how like, how fast or how slow the platelets form plug and when there is a break in tissue. And then we also do, we also do clotting total tests such as APTT to detect the deficiency of clotting factors in the intrinsic pathway. And then PT is also done as protrombin. It's done to detect the efficiency of clotting factors in the extrinsic pathway. So if for instance, the hematologist detects who the criminal is, the hematologist takes the blood from the wall, floor, or anywhere that there is blood and tries to affirm that okay, this sample is actually a blood sample. Afterwards, you now want to like, okay, whose sample is this? Now that we found that okay, it's human's blood, whose sample is this? In advanced countries where they have like a gene bank and everything, so the DNA analysis has been done with blood markers and everything, and protein marker tests, everything has been done. You'll be able to say, okay, it is Mr. Shire that committed this crime. And then, hematology is just used for like different diseases, like so it's used to find out different diseases, like when you use full blood cells, you can rule out anemia, like without any like TCD is low, and then, in blood transfusion, what do the hematologists do? They basically run donor screening tests to ensure that this donor is actually fit to donate his blood to wherever needs it. So tests such as, um, so those, all these physical tests, the body weight is taken and the questions that they ask. Okay, what do they actually do? Do tests such as cross matching, cross matching just to ensure compatibility of the blood, donor's blood versus the recipient's blood. Comstess is also done to detect vivo in vitro sensitization. So I'm sure that after you guys have heard all that I have to say, I'm going to like 
It's all very complex. So it's all very hard. But don't be scared. It's actually not very. It's not very. Hard. But I'll say that hematology is a cognitive medical specialty that requires physical thinking and problem solving skills to diagnose complicated disease and devise effective treatment plans accordingly. So, for instance, hematologists can can care for patients suffering from cancer, genetic disorders, and diseases that can result from hospitalization and other conditions. So, I really won't say it's hard, hard. Neither is it easy, easy. Like everything is just, I feel like it's just there. It's just there. It can be hard, it can be easy sometimes. I feel like it actually depends on the passion, just like Ms. Omar said at the, at the beginning. Why can I work as a hematologist? So you can have that question too. So hematologists can work in private labs, hospital labs, or research facilities. And the hematologist can work in um, academic labor. I work in academics where you train students, just like how our lecturers are training us to become, okay, we actually was just like a clinical chemistry now, and then you have lecturers training you. And then you can also become a medical journalist, just like we are doing a lab cast here. So I'm sure that Enoma is ready to school us on what this pathology has to offer. And I'm so excited and ready to learn from all that she has to say. And I'm sure you guys too are feeling like you people are ready to learn because I know I'm giving you breakdown and I'm sure that Enoma still has a lot to learn. So Enoma now, so the first thing that comes to mind when I think of histopathology is cancer. And I usually imagine the guys that detect and screen for growth in the body. And these are the histopathologists. Now, let me be more professional just to, you know, for the sake of professionalism, we're dealing with med lab here and I have to use medical terms. Histopathology is the process of examining tissues to know more about the disease or a disease and the root cause behind it. These tissues are observed under a microscope in a histopathology laboratory. And the process involves conducting a biopsy. Now, before starting the examination, the tissue is prepared after, after which it gets treated and then analyzed. If you have been to a histopathology lab, you know the rigorous process of fixing tissues, of, um, of the tissues undergoing tissue processing, of sectioning and then staining. Now, just to delve deeper into histopathology, there are two major units that we usually focus on. This is the cytology unit and the pathology unit. Cytology unit is the unit that deals with the cellular components of the body where body fluids are used to screen for diseases. So in cytology units, we go down to the cells to detect, to screen for diseases and, you know, to detect if there is any problem there. And when we hear of pathology, pathology, the pathology unit is that unit in histopathology, histopathology, pathology, that deals with the tissue component of the body, where body tissues are screened for diseases. So basically, when a growth is discovered in a person and cut off, every analysis is done by the histopathologist. They fix the tissues to remain lifelike so that the tissue doesn't lose the structure. They process the tissue, they stain it. The essence of all these processes that this tissue undergoes is to make sure that that tissue is valid for viewing under the microscope to check for growth. Now, when we are dealing with the ease or toughness of this specialty, mm, I can give it a 60 or 70. Why do I say this? I believe, I believe personal reservations now. 
I believe that histopathology can be quite monotonous, especially with the tissue processing stage and sectioning. It can seem boring. But for me, I believe that the most interesting part, at least throughout my lab posting days, the most interesting part of histopathology is always in the cut-up room. Because in the cut-up room, I see various kinds of organs. I've seen ovaries in the cut-up room. I've seen wombs, um, the, the way the, the womb looks like a pouch. This one is not just like, it's not the stories that they tell us in, in the classroom, like you see it live. I've seen the kidneys. I've seen little cuts from the breast. I've seen various things and they just, they just wow you. You know, when you see a patient that is suffering a condition such as, I think it's teratoma that it's called, where in a part of an organ of their body, you see hairs growing there. You see, they told us that eyes too can grow there. So the cut-up room for me is usually the most interesting place. Every other place is just smelling of chemicals and acetone. Yeah. So I would say that the major difficulty in the histopathology unit would be the meticulousness of the job, especially if you're not a meticulous person, you don't have an eye for details. Why do I say this? You cannot afford to joke with the organs of humans. You have to be accurate and not just accurate, you have to be precise because nobody is going to go back and you know go back to the surgery room and open their body and maybe you didn't perform the, the, the tissue processing well and then they will now go back to the body and tell the surgeon to open them up because, I mean, you can't joke with human organs. So if you don't handle what you've been given, <laughs> my dear, you're going to be sued if you diagnose somebody of cancer and then they later find out that that person didn't have cancer in the breast and then they cut off the breast. What are you going to say? So histopathology will actually put the fear of God in you to handle every tissue, every organ, every case with caution. Favor talked about um, hematology. So you see, in those in those in those specialties, if somebody urinates and you don't you don't you don't give an accurate test, you can always get another urine. But nobody ain't nobody going to get another kidney or another lung or just you you can't afford to play with things pertaining to histopathology. That's just what I want to say. When we talk about the opportunities in histopathology, opportunities range from forensic centers to general hospitals to autopsy rooms to museums to public health centers. And if you are in a functional country, perhaps you decide to go and practice your medical laboratory course outside of Nigeria, you can be part of the crime scene unit. So imagine those guys that follow the FBI or that follow the police when they discover a murder case and, you know, they take the fingerprints and whatnot. Histopath guys are the cool guys, no jokes. So you can see the beauty in histopathology. So next one is precious. And precious, when, once you hear precious or when you know precious or when you see precious, you think of her as a warrior, as in a boss lady. And that applies for the specialty that she's going to talk about, immunology, warriors, the white blood cells. So over to you, precious. Thank you. So I'll be talking about immunology. Immunology, from the word immunology, we have the immune and the lupus, just to do with the study of Im immune system. So the immune system protects the body from foreign molecules, which are also known as antigens. So that means that the immune system serves, or serves the function of soldiers in the body system. Immunology is actually a broad aspect of medical laboratory science that intersects with other aspects of medical laboratory science. For example, we have immunohistochemistry, 
in histopathology. We have immunochemistry in chemical pathology. We have immunohematology in hematology, and also serology and infectious disease diagnosis in microbiology. And the study of immunology is important in autoimmunity. I want to talk about autoimmunity. Autoimmunity is the immune response to cell antigen, which is due to field immune tolerance. You know, when the body is unable to tolerate its cells. And this is found in type 1 diabetes, Graves disease, and thyroiditis. Also in immunodeficiency, when the immune system is unable to respond adequately to foreign substances, it is known as immunodeficiency. And immunology is important in hypersensitivity. Hypersensitivity has to do with exaggerated immune response. Also in transplantation, transplantation, transplantation is a process that involves the moving of cells, organs, or tissue from one part of the body to another or from an individual to another. And the study of immune system is important in transplantation in order to reduce the possibility of rejection of transferred organs or tissue or cell. To reduce this, the donor and the recipient are carefully matched for immune compatibility prior to transplantation. Lastly, immunology is important in the production of vaccines and drugs, studying of immune system, and also development of immunomodulatory substances. So as an immunologist, where can I work? It actually depends on the type of organization they work for. For example, an immunologist can work in a hospital, a pharmaceutical and biotechnical industry for the production of medical products or to improve already existing ones. Also, they can be employed in universities as lecturers and also conduct research to increase the understanding of the immune system. Or they can also supervise diagnostic and research laboratory. And lastly, they can also help provide ways of improving animal health care. So what are the subspecialties in immunology? We have immunoregulatory, which has to do with the regulation of the immune system. We have the immunogenetics, which is concerned with the genetic basis of the immune response. And we have immunodiagnostics, which has to do with the antigen and antibody reaction as a means of protection. And also we have immunotherapy, which involves the use of some components of the immune system for the treatment of various cancers and immune disease. So, Muiwa, you have the floor now. Yes, of course. So, I'm going to be talking about medical microbiology. So, um, it's a branch of laboratory medicine so that's concerned with prevention, diagnosis, and treatment of infectious diseases. And frankly, I believe it's the most exci- exciting aspect of medical laboratory science. I know you guys will say that I'm saying this because, you know, that's my real specialization, but the truth is, that's just the truth. And the evidence is not lacking at all. You know, because when you think about it, you know, we're all surrounded by microbes. And in fact, maybe one interesting fact to add is that um, we ourselves are made up of microbes. So half of every human being is microbe by cell count. They are made up of about 30 trillion cells, and we host about 39 trillion microbes. You know, in fact, 8% of our genome is viral DNA. So yeah, we are all surrounded by microbes. We are microbes ourselves. You know, as one professor would say, I think I read somewhere Graham Hook, um, an emeritus professor of medical microbiology at the University of College London. That we are not individuals, we are ecosystems with microbial partners that are involved in the development, particularly in life and function of every essential organ, because including immunity, like uh, pressures are set. But away from all of that, uh, medical microbiology has a very wide scope. 
So why that? That has to be subdivided into subspecialties: you know, bacteriology, mycology, virology, pathology. Uh, so basically, we're dealing with the identification of bacteria, viruses, fungi, and parasites that cause infections. We also figure out what antibiotics will be effective in treatment. Also, um, a, major, a major part of the work in, in bacteriology is culturing of bacteria. So for other techniques, including microscopy, staining, molecular biochemical, and immunological techniques, are employed also. Usually, a systematic combination of these techniques is used to isolate and detect clinically significant microorganisms in samples collected from an affected site. So the education of bacteria allows for definitive diagnosis, especially when pathogenic organisms are grown. So maybe an example of a disease-causing bacteria would be Klebsiella. You know, another would be Escherichia e. coli. And of course, fortunately, both organisms are part of the class of organisms that we call enterobacteriaceae, are common causes of urinary, urinary tract infection and presents with symptoms like diarrhea in humans. Um, so if you're feeling feverish, like we always do, you know, you go to the toilet and things like that. These guys are responsible for things like this. And micro microbiologists are the ones who um, diagnose and determine that, okay, these guys are actually present in you and in all of us. <laughs> so what parasitology also, another subspecialty of microbiology, um, is concerned with the identification of parasites. A very common parasite, for example, would be the malaria parasites, the plasmodium. So, for example, we detect the presence of or absence of malaria parasites in the blood sample using maybe a rapid diagnostic test kit or microscopy or some other means like molecular methods and determine whether the malaria parasite is present first and whether it's a plasmodium, falsiparum, or a vivax, or malaria, or whatever species it is, um, depending on, of course, where what part of the world they're living, you know, where these um, species are endemic. So moving on to another subspecialty, mycology. And mycology involves the identification of fungi across cutaneous, subcutaneous, and organ diseases. Candida albicans is one very good example. You know, it's a fungi that causes systemic infections such as um, vaginitis and thrush, thrush is an oral infection. Um, another one, of course, another common fungal disease would be what we call the athletic foot, which is caused by a fungi called Tiniapedis. So fungal infection, ringworm, so, so an example. There's so many examples, and maybe another one to add is um, the tococcus uniformans, you know, that causes meningitis in infants. So what we do here, basically, under mycology is to detect the presence or the absence of these incriminating organisms and, you know, propose treatment plans to physicians. Last subspecialty, of course, is virology. And I don't think I need to dwell too much on this because, you know, the recent COVID pandemic, COVID-19 pandemic, and then the Lassa fever and Ebola has exposed us to a lot of the kinds of tests that are done you know, for diagnosis and for treatment. So, of course, HIV also is caused by a virus. So all of these things, so all of these diseases basically are diseases that we deal with under virology. So diagnose patients, and then monitor their health status once treatment plan has commenced. And if you're thinking, of course, where to work as a mi medical microbiologist, you know, like everywhere, basically, hospitals and medical centers, who are in the academia and industry and research, everywhere, anywhere you can think of in the health sector, <laughs> you'll find medical microbiology there. So you see, it's something that's very wide and very interesting. And I'm sure that you know, anybody coming into it will have a lot of fulfillment. Um, mm. studying mm. the career. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so 
I think that leaves us with Miss Oman now to talk about physical chemistry. Okay, so saving the best for the last, I guess. Haters <laughs> will disagree. So clinical chemistry, I'll start by defining it. It's the area of chemistry that is generally consigned with the analysis of bodily fluid for you know diagnostic and therapeutic purposes. Just think about it as an applied form of biochemistry. This is actually the coolest department, in my opinion. So um I why agree. did this... I agree? I agree. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Whatever. When did you see? Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> we will wait now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Potatoes with potato. <laughs> okay, so guys, let me continue. So, when the discipline originated in the 19th century, it employed the use of simple chemical tests for various components of blood and urine. But in the coming decades, other techniques have been applied because you know science and technology has advanced. Now we use and measure enzyme activity. We use the spectrophotometer, erythrophoresics, and immunoassays. There are now even blood tests and clinical urine tests with extensive diagnostic capabilities. In fact, in the medical laboratory, clinical chemistry unit is the most automated, usually the most automated. So what does a clinical chemist do? A clinical chemist basically employs the knowledge of chemistry in diagnosis of disease. It just cuts across the other aspects of medical laboratory sciences. I'll just briefly list, go through a list of tests that are done in the clinical chemistry lab. So a clinical chemist can either work on whole blood serum or plasma. And with this, you can use, you can evaluate proteins to investigate disorders of water balance, disease, liver diseases, and malnutrition. When it's urea, you can investigate diseases of renal function. When it's glucose you're looking at, you're trying to diagnose and monitor diabetes. When you're monitoring erythrolytes, like sodium and potassium in the body, you're trying to investigate imbalances. And a clinical chemist can also measure your bilirubin to diagnose and check if you have jaundice. There are also urine tests in chemistry, which are like the most popular, I think. These urine tests check for abnormal substances like protein, glucose, urobilinogen, ketones, that are normally not supposed to be in your urine. For instance, if a clinical chemist gives you a positive result for nitrates, it solves the physician puzzle. That means you have an infection. So for that test, now nail down the particular UTI. So there's also fecal clinical chemistry test where you do occult blood tests to investigate bleeding lesions of the GIT. You can also measure other parameters to investigate lactase deficiency or maybe fat malabsorption. A clinical chemist also uses cerebrospinal fluid for their analysis. You know, they can check for protein levels to determine if the patient has meningitis or African trypanosomiasis, what we commonly call the sleeping sickness. Um, there are just a few sub-specialties in clinical chemistry. We have toxicology, we have clinical trials, we have clinical endocrinology, and we have therapeutic drug monitoring. Talking about how easy or tough clinical chemistry is, <laughs> to be honest, it's usually not the easiest courses to pass in the department because there are a lot of technicalities, calculations, abstract concepts, you know, transmission, absorption, and all of that. And generally, the lecturers seem to be more difficult. <laughs> so to excel in clinical chemistry, you have to have a good background in biochemistry. And you have to have the ability to withstand stress and, of course, an imaginative 
mind. You know how the saying goes, your skin no full, no full body. Oh. <laughs> okay, so another thing that is peculiar to clinical chemists is that personally for me, I like clinical chemistry because it's result oriented, right? It's something that once you're doing it, you're seeing the t- you're seeing the results. It's not open-ended like MCB. That means you don't have to guess. You just have to be very careful and follow procedures to get accurate results. So having said all of that, if you've evaluated yourself and your fit, you don't have to worry about job opportunities because they abound. You can work in a hospital or in an independent clinical lab. You can venture into research or you can venture into industries, you know, assist in manufacturing and troubleshooting of um, machines. You can also work in, remember I said a branch of clinical chemistry is therapeutic drug monitoring and toxicology which means you can work in a pharmacy. You can work in pharmaceutical industries. You can also work in commercial reference labs. Of course, a lot of clinical chemists also venture into academia. Or you can also um, volunteer in special organizations like, you know, research foundations. Then if you really want to take, if you really want to climb the ladder, you can enter government regulatory agencies, maybe the WHO, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, or you can just go on to become a lecturer. You know. Okay, wow, we've learned a lot from all the specialties. Believe me, no specialty is more relevant than the other specialty. I know we've made Muiwa feel bad today, but Muiwa, I'm not feeling bad. Muiwa, the truth. I am proud. I am proud of my specialty. We I appreciate what the microbiologists and it are beats doing all of these specialties that you are making noise about. But let's let's move on. The excitement from every specialty alone is killing. The beauty about med lab science is in its diversity, from the life saving skill of the hematology unit, because I mean, life is in the blood, to the expensive, detailed eye of the clinical pathology units. We the chemical pathologist, a.k.a. security <laughs> bag. <laughs> now, now, she's being biased. <laughs> she said no To the broad yet pathogen-squashing hands of the microbiology units. Thank you. The Muiwa kind of people. <laughs> to the warriors of the body, the immunology unit, and then the one and only detective unit of MedLab, the histopathology unit. We can see how every specialty complements each other and none is more relevant in the society if we're going to save lives and perform our duties as the eye of modern medicine. Yes, so. <laughs> okay, guys. So this was a very, very interesting conversation we had talking about various specialties in medical laboratory science, the role, things where you can work. And I'm sure you guys learned a lot today. Thank you so much for listening. Also, would appreciate your suggestions and comments. What for you to do like us to talk about in our coming episodes? Or if you have any questions, you can send us a mail at medlabcombolabcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to our podcast for food and like beneficial content. Tell your friend to tell your friend to tell your friend to tell your friend because we are here to open your eyes to break stuff. Don't lose, no sleeping, don't play. Bye, guys. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye. 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 <laughs> bye. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> <laughs>